Now, broadcasting on Radio Star Worldwide, it's time for Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Let's tap into your own authentic genius and live the life you desire. Join Dr. Rademacher for an enlightened conversation about our brain intelligence, our body intelligence, and our energy intelligence. And now, here's your host, Dr. Bart Rademacher. Welcome, welcome. I am Dr. Bart Rademacher, prescription for your transformation, real people, real conversations, and real success. And I'm really successful today because I'm finally figuring out how all this technology works. You know, we had some issues earlier on. The camera wasn't working. But you know what? That's the whole fun about this process. And I love it because this is the authentic conversations that we get to have on this platform because that's what it's all about. It's the real stuff. It's the real story. You know, no kind of makeup or coverage or, you know, costumes to cover things up. No masks. It's the real deal. And what's cool about it is that in this process, I get to meet these awesome people. And they're awesome gifts. They're awesome talents. And you may agree or disagree with them. However, the exciting part is when you actually kind of disagree with them, there's that opportunity for most of that growth. And so it's interesting what's happening in the world today. There's so much conflict, so much disagreement. And, you know, what's wrong in life is always available to you, but also what's right in life is also available to you. And so I had a conversation earlier today about social currency. And one of the main social currencies that we have is, is whining and complaining because that somehow seems that we're wired to connect more with people. But there's an area of conflict that really does not belong in our life. And that's the area of bullying. And again, there's a lot of controversy about that, a lot of different opinions about it. You know, some extremists on that end as well. And the truth is, is that it's a problem here and we actually do need to wake up. And these are the words of Venu. And so I'm very excited to be talking to an amazing human being, really focusing on helping people overcome this challenge and also with a major focus on our kids in our world, because it's our kids that really hold the future for all of us. And so why not take care of them so that they can have a better life? And that's one of the main things that Vinu does. So Vinu, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited and honored to be on your show. So I know you gave me a warning today about you like to talk a lot and everything else. And, and that's really cool. There won't be any conflict there. And, and I won't see that in a negative way as bullying or anything else. But I like to hear from you. You know, what's this whole idea of bullying? And then and then after that, let's go a little bit in your history because I think that's relevant. Because one of the things that I find very important for all of us is that, you know, as, as, as uh, Gandhi says, we, we have to be the change that we want to see in the world. And the people that have experienced some of the main, you know, largest or most challenging situations are oftentimes the best ones to teach us how to overcome them versus not having them and then, then just talking whatever. And I'm not going to say out of your bum, but I just did. So, but, but it's important because you've had that experience and you are that professional that can help us and help guide our kids. So talk a little bit about the bullying and then we'll go back into your history. Okay. So bullying, I want to be very clear about this because there's a lot of gray area with the bullying. Like, you know, when a kid just happens to make a comment about your shoes, that child might go back home and say, Oh, I was bullied. 
that's not bullying. Not in my book anyway. To me, bullying is an individual that continues to target another individual, maybe a couple individuals to take away their self-worth, their self-esteem in order to make themselves feel better, to get control, to get power, to get, um, you know, popular. In that case, I believe that's bullying and bullying is in different extremes. And fortunately for me, when I went through my experience, we didn't have the internet. Well, now we do. So bullying is like on a whole different level now, but we're hearing about bullying in so many different media situations, like school shootings. That's pretty much bullying. You're taking someone's life, um, sexual harassment all over Hollywood now, right? What are people doing? They're using their power, their authority to overpower somebody else to make them feel less than that's bullying, um, bullying in schools. You know, we're hearing about kids committing suicide because everything's been taken from them that they believe what's going, what the bully's saying. So they have no self-worth, no self-esteem. They don't see what life worth living for anymore. So bullying shows up in so many different areas. I started a movement a couple of years ago called the bully proof life movement because we see bullying in schools. I was bullied by my brother growing up. So it's in the homes. I was bullied in relationships. So it's in, you know, your, your relationships with people. I was bullied in the workforce and I bullied myself, you know? So my whole objective of this movement is for people to get to the cause of bullying so we can eradicate bullying because it's not just happening here in America. It's happening all over the world. So, you know, what's interesting what you just said is that, and, and you and I are very much from the, the Tony world. And I love, you know, one of the, the things that Tony talks about is our six human behavioral needs. And, you know, one of them is a significance. And, and for anybody who is not aware of that, there's six behavioral needs it's certainty, it's love connection, uh, it's uh, significance, uh, growth and com- contribution, and then variety. And um, the easiest way to become significant when, you know, we don't have that self-esteem is to actually put somebody else down. And so if you were to ask, you know, talk about bullying, and, and you said something very, very critical earlier on to me, and, and that's saying, you know, no longer allowing ourselves to be the victim of something, you know, taking our own power, but where, where do you, do you feel that bullying really comes from? So I believe it comes from, like you said, the six human needs. When I think of significance, I think of self-worth, you know, self-esteem, and we all need that. We all need to know that we're enough in this world. And I believe that bullying comes from the idea that the person who is doing the bullying lacks that so much they're in search of it. They need to know that they're worth something. And I've done research on this. I've gone back to the people that have bullied me. I've talked to different people that have been bullies. And when it comes down to it, either they wanted the significance, the acceptance of their peer group, right? That's still significance, or they were lacking it at home. You know, I just did a huge Facebook live about the whole series of 13 reasons why. And one of the things that the bully said was his parents were so rich that they just threw money to make sure he was okay. And they were never there. They were absent parents. So where was this boy supposed to get a significance? He became the best jock at the school. He became the most popular boy at the school. But what he did is he created this following of people that would signal out certain individuals to take away their self-worth and self-esteem to make him feel better. Interesting. 
So, so what about the kids that were bullied themselves as children? Do they oftentimes become bullied themselves as they grow up? Maybe now because they've grown up to be, you know, large kids maybe, or, you know, more clever in one way or another. Is, is that also a reason? So, I mean, it can go either way. I mean, look at me. I, w- I mean, I was bullied since the time I was six years old, all the way through adulthood. And I didn't become a bully, you know, but I want to say, I also did bully somebody. I mean, I bullied one of my best friends one time, but I did it because I wanted to be accepted. And I thought, well, if these bullies see me doing it, maybe they'll, there'll be a connection and they'll stop bullying me. And it backfired on me. Number one, I felt horrible because it was a friend of mine. Number two, the bully stuck up for her and I got bullied even more. So, I mean, it definitely was a double whammy for me. However, It's a learned behavior. So let's just set the record straight here. We don't have children and say, oh, I'm born today. I'm going to grow up to be a bully. Nobody does that. Nobody does. Bullying is definitely 100% learned behavior. They're watching their parents. How many parents are out there saying, not my kid, not my kid. My, my kids will tell you, I have, I have six kids and my adult kids would tell you, my mom's the first person to go in there and say, what did my son do? And you know, backtrack the evidence to see, did he really do it? Or was somebody assuming something because there's not enough parents doing that. They're so like, my kid didn't do that. My kid would never do that. This is also portrayed in that, that series too. That's why I really promote that series because of what it's showing is real. It's happening. Uh, Kids are going to um, the authorities, like school authorities, police, You know, I get calls all the time. My kid's being bullied. What do I do? And I give them, you know, strategies and they're, oh, it doesn't work. No one's listening to us. That's why we have to wake up. I'm so passionate about this. You know, so so let me ask you this, though, because that, that was one of the key things that really got me on our conversation earlier on is that we need to wake up. And and that's so true. It's so true in so many parts of our life. And, and so why are people just so asleep in it? I mean, you know, why is it that we have to tell people to wake up, you know, when it just seems such an obvious thing? So think about this. When you sleep, what happens? You shut everything out. There's nothing to deal with. There's no emotions to feel. You sleep through it. But what happens when you wake up? You have to deal with what you're facing that day. So why are we sleeping? Because we want to just avoid it. Hope it goes away. You know, have you ever had a problem in your entire life that you're like, okay, I'm just going to go to sleep on it. And when I wake up, hopefully it'll be gone. I mean, all of us are guilty of that somewhere in our life. We have thought that. And when we wake up, we realize we're like, gosh, it didn't go away. I have to actually do something to make the problem go away. You know, you had a key point when you started the show is that we spend so much time in the problem. And when we resolve that problem, there's going to be another problem. So instead of always focusing on what the problem is, let's start waking up and seeing what the solution is. Sleeping on this is not the solution. Every time there's a gun shooting, what do we say? Gun control, parenting, mental health. We have to wake up. It's all of that and then some. It is how a person internalizes it. Think about this. Do you think that shooter was born to say, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to get popularity by shooting up a school? No, there was something along the lines of that person, whether it's mental health or not, that they internalized something so much pain that they wanted other people to feel it too. Right. So, so in essence, pleasure out of it. Yeah. In essence, it's also a cry for help. 
Uh, it, it's a very unfortunate cry, and it's one that's really unfortunately there's there's a lot of uh, problems or uh, fatalities with that, and that's unfortunate. But one thing that that I find you know um, pervasive, and this is just one of those symptoms, is um, people are just simply not taking responsibility and responsibility for what it is that they do and how they actually contribute. So, quite frankly. Um, and, and just take this one unfortunate case where you have that shooter, as you point out, there's a lot of factors and a lot of people who contributed to the end result. And until we start taking responsibility for that, rather than just pointing the finger at something else that's actually outside of our control in essence, you know, let's, let's first control ourselves and yeah. find out, you know, what is our role? It's, it's the same thing with any, any squabble in, in any relationship, uh, when I, when I, I, as you know, as a life coach, and I'm sure you teach people this as well, is, you know, first look at yourself, you know, what's your role in this conflict? And something interesting that an epiphany that I received a couple of years ago, when I went to one, one of these um, humanitarian trips, was um, I was excited about seeing how I would show up you know, with adversity and rather than looking at the rest of the world and see what they were doing wrong and judging them, you know, asking myself, you know, what is it that I'm doing? And so I came up with this phrase where I celebrate my faults and my weaknesses. Mm. And so it's not just to flaunt the fact that, oh yeah, well, I just do those things. No, it's now in my awareness, I woke up right into understanding what's my role. And I think that's a key issue. So is that something that you share with people and asking them, you know, how are you responsible for this? Right. So just exactly what you're saying. I help people to stop blaming. Mm -hmm. We have to take the blame out of this. Yeah. What is your role in that? You know, it's funny because somebody said in the Parkland shooter shooting case, um, I was talking to another parent advocate on bullying and stuff and her daughter actually started a huge foundation in Texas to stop suicide for kids. Um, she was saying that the advocate for that, for gun control and all that actually bullied the person who was doing the shooting, but that was never mentioned. Nobody ever like nobody takes blame for themselves. You know, what is my part in this? You know, one of the things that I said, it doesn't matter if you're a parent, if you are opening your mouth and having an opinion of what it should be, my question to you is, what are you doing about it? Right. You know, and, what and are I, you doing? And I think that's a key that that's actually cross contextual and, and, and in so many parts of our life. So I guess part of the challenge then, and, and this is one of uh, your other fortes is uh, communication, you know, how people are just unable to effectively communicate and 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 i like to hear that and for a moment i like to share my perspective communication is like an iceberg so you see a little bit of the iceberg above the water but most of it's underneath and what we're actually communicating is above the iceberg but what we really need to be communicating is very much underneath totally. and it's, it's a big challenge for us today and and in this whole communication so Share with us your thoughts, your beliefs, and, and the way that you help people uh, do what you do. So one of the things in my life coaching is I work with families. I'm a family consultant, and I help parents to learn how to parent uh, without blame and shame. And in that, it's really about communication. 
if we are communicating to our kids that they're not good enough, they're going to school feeling like what? They're not good enough. But if we communicate to our kids that what they are doing is enough for them, for the parent, then we are sending our kids into this world of society, knowing that no matter what they do, they're doing enough. But the problem is, is we're not communicating that in the right way. Instead, we're doing more blaming. Why? Why didn't you get that grade? Why didn't you tell me? Why, why, why? Instead of saying, wow, this happened. How do you feel about it? And do you need my support in this? How can I support you better to get where you want to go? This is what we're not doing. Instead, we're like, you should have got the A. You're grounded. And you know why I know this? Guilty. I've done it. I did it with my adult kids. And my son was just telling me last night, he's like, you're so much nicer to the twins than you were with us. No, 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 no. I just learned how to parent without blame and shame and hear my kids and support them through that. This is where communication comes in with relationships. I can tell my husband three different things. And then a day later, I'm like, did you hear me? He's like, yeah, I heard this. Not one thing he heard was the three things I said. But none of us are even in our relationship. And it's funny because my husband and I were just talking about this the other day. He's like, what can I do better? And I said, maybe we just need to stop and ask each other, what did you hear? You know, what did you just hear me say? You know, did you hear me say this? Because a lot of times that communication is missed. We can go into the five love languages. We can use that for every single person. My love language is acts of service. You want to talk to me? You want to let me know that I'm worth it to you? You do something for me without me even asking. My husband's is touch. And touch is my bottom, by the way. And so if I want to show him that I appreciate him or I love him, I just have to put my hand on his shoulders. And he's like, oh, gosh, my wife loves me today. You know. So, again, it's how we communicate. And using our mouth to communicate is not the only way. It's our actions. Our actions speak so much louder than our words. You know, so again, communication is huge. When you are going to school saying, I'm not bullying that kid, but you go and put something on his locker, just because you didn't say it didn't mean that you weren't a part of it. Or standing around while this kid's getting his, you know, rear end, I'll say bum because you said bum, bum kicked. And you're sitting there videoing it. You're part of the problem. You're not part of that solution. That is communication. You're communicating that you want to be a part of what's going on instead of being part of a solution. You know, what I call an upstandard. Step up. Yeah, and that's so important because, you know, the truth is, is, um, you know, with the book, The Four Agreements, and they talk about integrity and impeccable, uh, your impeccable word. And and really has to do with your energy, your psychic energy, your intention. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that just simply our thoughts and our intention actually get communicated very quickly, very effectively, even when you haven't even said a single word. And then, in fact, when you say the words that are not congruent with uh, what your intention is, other people will still get a difference in, in that communication. So what's so important for all of us is, you know, what is our thinking at that moment? Because our thinking also delivers that energy. And uh, as much as it's unseen, it is really, really felt. And also with the whole, uh, you know, many, many years ago, um, I used to have a certain kind of dry sense of humor. I still have a dry sense of humor, but it was really more of a, a negative kind of uh, humor where um and and the the 
idea, the intention actually was to, you know, be more jovial and, and, and be more lighthearted. But I just felt, you know, this negative humor just doesn't work. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good. And as much as everybody's going to laugh about it, it's not the right thing. And even that is a communication that we need to be very mindful of. You know, if a comedian steps up and I just went to a comedy show last night, makes fun of us. Okay, that's different because that's just putting things in a different perspective. But so important for all of us is to know what our thoughts are and be mindful of that. But one thing you said that's really key, and it's interesting, especially in conflicts, uh, especially in, in relationships that aren't in, in flow, if you will, um, is that when people are talking, oftentimes they're just focused on the next thing that they're going to say. And so they're not focusing on what you're saying. And I love what you said just now is that getting into the habit and asking that other person without judgment, without sort of guilt, okay, did you hear me? You know, what did I say? And and have that other person communicate back to you. And there's a technique called imago. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're familiar. Are you familiar with imago technique? Um, I might be familiar with the technique, not the name of it. <laughs> okay. So it's um, a great, great couple. Um, Harville Hendricks and his wife uh, get the love that you want. And it's a beautiful uh, communication technique that uh, allows two people to communicate extremely effectively. And um, I find it, it's almost like a spiritual union uh, between mm -hmm. two people because as a man, all right. I know women are much smarter than men in, in understanding the other, uh, you know, gender. Um, but as a man, the most important thing in a relationship is we want to really understand the woman. We really want to understand her. And so this is what allows you to do. And so just briefly, what happens is that you do short uh, bites of, of, of information. So like 10 words or maybe 20 words or less. And then you have the other person repeat it back to you and you go back and forth. So you talk about one topic until it's done and then the other person summarizes. It's a beautiful, beautiful technique to really help with uh, communication. But something else you, you said that is really key in the things that you get to do is, is working with children. And, you know, you and I know that identity is such a key part of who we are and how we get to behave. And I learned from a great friend of mine and mentor, Steve Linder, in his courses. Do you know, you know Steve, right? Yeah. I've taken his courses too, yes. Okay, so you know nothing changes in your life until your identity changes. Mm -hmm. so talk to us a little bit about what you do with identity and particularly with the kids, but also with the adults and the significance of identity. So for me, um, you know, every, you look around and everybody's a life coach nowadays, you know, right. when I was growing up, everybody was a lawyer, but today everybody's a life coach. Right. Um, so I've niched myself into, I guess, like an identity life coach. So this covers kids, teens, adults, you know, so forth. And the reason why I got into identity is because we wear so many masks as kids and adults. But I feel like now, especially going back to communication, right, is do we feel safe as children to communicate to our parents what we really, what's really going on with us internally, you know, who we are? Because if you think about it, parents aren't really raising our kids anymore. It's society that's raising our kids, you know? And so 
what I do is I help these kids take off the masks. When I coach with them, we're going to take off the mask. We're going to figure out who you are. You're not who your friend said you should be. You're not who your parents think you should be. Who are you really? What does that feel like to you from inside out? And then I get them to a point where they can feel comfortable about it. So then we open up the lines of communication with the family so the parents can join in and help support that child in the communication. And guess what happens? A beautiful relationship develops between the parents and that child, you know, but even more so a beautiful relationship reignites with that own person, that child that I'm working with. You know, they're like, oh, I'm not the bad kid in school anymore. No, 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 no. That's not who you are anymore. Who are you now? You know, and they're like, oh, I'm that super smart kid that can help everybody. And I don't have to shout out anymore because I could just raise my hand because that's how people are going to hear me. Absolutely. You know, and that, what is that going to do for you now? You know, and so it's, we shift that with these kids because most of the kids that I get, they're either acting out in school or acting out in home, plain and simple. Oh. And so that, again, looking at behavior, the communication of it as a behavior specialist, I always look at behavior to tell me what's really going on with the home, the school or whatnot. And then going into identity with adults, I work with a lot of people that have gone through a divorce. You know, they've been married for 25 years and now they're getting divorced. Like, who am I? Like, I don't even know who I am now. And, um, or I work with a lot of people that have, um, their kids growing up and moving out because they've been parents their whole life. Now they're going to be parents with an empty home. What does that look like for them? Right. You know, um, I've even worked with people that, you know, they're, what they're attracted to changes, you know, they're now attracted to females, not their husband anymore. What are they going to do with that? So, you know, it's all identity. It's what we identify with. And so I, you know, going back into my past, I was bullied since I was six years old. Um, I spent 24 years of my life suicidal. Um, I self-harmed. Um, I was in a mental hospital for two months when I was 15. So a long time ago, I identified with that. I was a victim of all of that. And there was um, one of my mentors, um, Lauren Lahav. She said in 2008, I was volunteering for a Tony Robbins event. And she said to us, you got to clean up your own backyard before you go to clean up somebody else's. Mm -hmm. And so I love that saying. And I have really honed in on that saying, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to clean up my own backyard? What it meant to me was who was I identifying with? You know, who is Venu? Is Venu the victim of, oh, poor her. She was bullied. Oh, gosh, she was 24 years suicidal. She must have had a crazy life. Oh, she was a single mom. Oh, this, oh, that. I didn't want any more O's. I wanted people to look at me and say, they talk to me and I tell them about my background. They'd be like, you? That was you? Yeah, that was me. That's not who I am today. You know, now I am a leader of my own life. I help people to be the best version of themselves, whatever that looks like to them without judgment. You know, and I, I had to go through that by changing my own identity. Right. I mean, you, you said a very key point. And, um, you know, I think, you know, life coaching is such a wonderful concept. And, and, and I'm guessing Tony Robbins was one of the main ones who really made that into a major trend today. And the point is, is that you actually really do have to clean up your backyard before you really can coach anybody else. And too often you find people are, you know, shouting off the rooftops, what needs to change in this world, but they're not taking care of themselves first. And in fact, um, they're not only do they become a nuisance, 
um, they're actually also very uh, counterproductive. And, and that's with all the problems that we see in the world today and, and politics and everybody else. And, and everybody's so quick to, to point fingers and, and give solutions, but are very much unwilling uh, to take care of business themselves. And, and the persons that, you know, and this is not a political debate, and I just want to be clear on that one, but I, I think it's important for us to, like you said, you know, let's, let's wake up, let's see what's really true. And, and all these people that, you know, we idolize like celebrities, most of us, you know, I mean, some of them are really cool people, but then when they start talking politics and telling all us, all the things that we need to do, that's just not fair. And, and for all those people, if, if, if you want to see the change in the world, you know, you've got to be that change. You've got to, got to take care of that first. And so, you know, I, I think it's, it's key, you know, what you're saying, but the other part that I find fascinating is, you know, you talk about masks and, and you talk about, you know, that opportunity, that space that as parents, we need to create to allow our children just to speak up and not be wrong. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I do in my coaching, um, and I, I'm sure that's what you do as well, is I tell people, you know, give yourself permission to be human, you know, with all your faults, with all the BS, with all the problems and with all your weakness, just be okay with it. I mean, Eckhart Tolle talks about that now, being in the now and, mm -hmm. and kind of being that, you know, third person observer and say, okay, and, and one thing I like um, learning from Robert Diltz is he has a strategy that says, you know, when he sees some sort of disturbance or irritation in, in yourself or someone else, just be curious. So, you know, for, for um, my question then for you is when you talk about identity, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with talent dynamics, um, yeah. how, how much of that do you bring into – uh, helping those children be their natural talent because, and I'm just going to say this, you know, our schooling system and the way that we've been trained in so many different ways is that, you know, it's all boxed in. You have to fit certain standards. You have to pass certain tests. And as I learned recently, all that does is, is uh, train you to be a college professor if you want to be that, but otherwise it's going to be totally useless. And so if we can just encourage our children to find that natural talent, that natural flow and, and be excited about that identity, I mean, do you bring that into your, your coaching? Yes. And I bring it into my home life. You know, um, we as parents have to stop being embarrassed for who our kids are being. We just have to. You know, I was at a field trip today and my daughter started singing some Christian rock song and dancing all over the place. And my husband and I looked at her and we looked at each other and we said, why be normal? Let her be that. You know, she's the one that bellows out in Costco and people just stop and look. I'm like, she loves to sing and she loves having an audience. That's why we do it in Costco. You know, we have to allow our children to be them. My kids are, I'll give you this idea. My, one of my clients said, you know, I just want to let you know that your kids are not a walking, talking business card for you. And I'm like, probably not because I allow them to have the flexibility in school. My son will not sit at a table and work. He's just not going to do it. He wants to stand up. He wants to tap his feet. But if you allow him to do that, he will get his work done. 
the more you stop him from letting him move his body, because that's what his body's asking to do is to move, you're going to get the defensiveness. You're going to get the talk back. You're going to get the kids acting out. If teachers would start to just really listen, right? It goes back to that communication. Really listen to what the kid is saying. If a kid is constantly blurting out, what is that telling you? They want some attention. They want to be heard. And they're not, they don't feel for whatever reason in their model of their world that they're being heard. So they're just going to take it now. They're tired of not being heard. So they're just going to take it. So if teachers could really get a hold of that, what could they do with that? They can acknowledge, I know you love to be heard. And I'm going to give you that time to be heard. And this is what we're going to do. And they come up with a great strategy. And guess what? That kid doesn't bellow out in class anymore because he was finally heard. So this is what we have to give that that child an opportunity to be who they want to be. I have a great, great friend in San Diego and their son loves to dress with bows. He loves to wear skirts. He loves, he loves his hair long. And when you ask him, you know, who do you identify? He's like, I'm a boy, but he loves to wear the feminine stuff. And you know what? His parents allow him and his parents are just like, this is who he is. And we love him. They put him all over Facebook. They're not worried about who thinks what they're more worried about their child, knowing that they're he's loved right. and supported for who he is. Right. Because that's what matters. And he's going to be an amazing child because he is so loved and he's heard and he is a with his pink Converse shoes. And I've met him and he's a fabulous boy. I love him. He is so great. And I'm so grateful I got the opportunity to spend with his parents because I was curious about that. How do we allow our kids and nurture them with who they are now? Like you said, are we living in the now? You know, be present with that and be open to it. Don't criticize. Don't judge. Right. Ask the question. The biggest question is, how can I support you? So, so, um, I always like to get uh, Sedona's uh, input in all of this. And, uh, you know, um, one thing that I've learned from her is that uh, she has a dad um, that's been extremely supportive in, in her uh, life. And so um, what are your thoughts about what you just heard and, and how much of that is, is relevant in your life? Definitely. Um, the teaching stuff hits home a little bit. I was a dance teacher for five years and, um, unfortunately had to stop doing it when I went to school. Um, but that's something that I look very heavily at. I look at the way that teachers interact with kids and that parents interact with their kids because I grew up in a huge family. Well, it seems really big. Um, we, I'm the oldest of four kids um, who always had mom and dad support. And it's funny because just the other day, um, my brother, who's two years younger than me, had just kind of said like similar things um, that you were mentioning. He said, if mom and dad saw us doing something like that, like they would have thrown a fit. But now the littles get to do things like that. And it's funny how parenting evolves, not just through how many kids you have, but also through the generations as like your kids get older and you have some that are still a lot younger. So you're almost like starting over with them. Um, and that's been really interesting to watch. That's been really interesting to see the differences in parenting. And one thing that I notice, and from being a teacher is you're not, you're not kidding when they say parents don't uh, take blame for things because they will 
interrupt a class. They'll come yank their kid out. They'll do anything and anything not to have an issue or really to cause issues. (laughs) But yeah, that definitely um, is something that I think people, it's, I don't, I think there's a certain level where you don't, you don't uh, want to say things to influence a child too much in front of other kids because every single kid is different. I think like you need to have that individual time with the child to be able to talk to them. Um, There were students in my class that felt like they were being bullied and as soon as we had the kids talk to each other and talk to us individually, then we were able to work through that and then there wasn't a problem anymore. And if everybody just kind of took the time and took the same approach, then we'd be able to solve a lot of issues. No, very, very well said. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, so um, I have an interesting story, and thank you for sharing that, Sedona, and I always appreciate you. But um, this this is not new, and, and my question in a moment after I share the story with you is, you know, what's the impact that you're actually having or wanting to have on uh, with teachers? Because, you know, our, our children are spending a lot of time, you know, outside of the home, and away from our influence. And so an interesting story, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Thomas Edison story, where around fifth grade, he comes home with a letter uh, from his teacher and um, it's it's sealed and uh, gives it to his mom. And then mom reads the letter. And basically um, his mom tells him, it says, you know, the teacher is saying, that you're so incredibly smart and brilliant and, you know, you're just so ahead of the class that, you know, there's no way that we can keep up with you. We don't have the resources. And so you're just going to have to teach him at home um, because it's, you know, it's, it's too, too much hard work on the other kids and it's not fair to them. And so after his mom died, um, he found this letter and yeah, obviously we know Thomas Edison. He was a brilliant man and made all these inventions, did all these incredible things for us. And what the actual what the letter actually said was something completely different. And you're, are you familiar with the story? Have no. You all right. So what the letter actually said is that uh, Mrs. Edison, your son is so dumb and so retarded and so disruptive in the class and always interrupting things that you know he's just holding the class behind and so you know we can't we don't have the resources to take care of a this kind of child and so you're going to have to take care of him at home and this is still happening today mm-hmm. so how because do you, it's how what? we're identifying with it right it's look at what that is a great example i've never heard that story but it's a great example is if he if she would have told her son that maybe we wouldn't have electricity today right you know, it's what we tell our kids is we're, we are their internal voice. Yeah. That's it. We're their internal voice. I always tell people like when I go into homes, cause I was telling you earlier, I go into homes and I live with families for four days to turn their life around. And one of the things that I hear parents say is you're being bad. You're being bad. Well, no wonder your kids acting that way. You've already told him he's being bad. So he's living up to that to that, you know, that point of being bad. You told him, you've labeled him, he's bad. Why would he be good now? And here, like in my house, my kids will tell you, they'll say, I'm not bad. I just don't make good choices. Mm -hmm. 
because that's what we teach them. We teach them that you are not a bad person, but you have two choices to make. You're going to either have a good choice or you're going to have a bad choice, but the choice is totally up to you. Just remember what's going to happen when you make that choice. Right. So, you know, my kids do walk around. They're like, I'm not bad. They'll tell you they are not bad. So it's an interesting, and I just want to expand on that because we confuse so much with our emotions and our behaviors and we identify with them and we have to stop doing that. First of all, we are not our emotion. We're not depressed. We're acting depressed. And um, like you said, I'm not bad. I mean, we are, so we are not our behaviors either. And so, um, you know, I have my stupid days, you know, where I have my stupid behavior, but you know, I'm not stupid. And um, you know, my daughter was, was, she's cute and she's, she's badass and awesome and, and, and very hardworking. And, um, and she always said that I'm so clumsy. And I says, no, you're not. You just have some clumsy things that you do. You know, that's just doing something. You're not being something. And I think the key is, is we have to focus more on, on being than anything else. But I have a question for you because that's, that's pretty intense to live with a family. What for four days to help them resolve. Now, do you stay there like all night too and, and have yeah, breakfast, I spend lunch, the night, dinner? Like, well, if I do them locally, because I've done local families where I live, mm -hmm. um, I will come home at 10 o'clock in the morning and I'll go back to their house at five right. in the morning, um, which is great because I sleep in my own bed. But um, when I go to different areas, Virginia, Florida, Georgia, Milwaukee, um, I'll stay in their house and they'll, you know, I'll, they have a spare bedroom where they put the kids somewhere else. So I have their bedroom. So, I mean, but I have a room there and I live there for four days and, um, it's incredible to see that transformation that happens in four days. I think, um, I always, I've never had a parent that has told me that, wow, this was a waste. I, every parent says, where have you been? Like, you know, we, we tried meds. It didn't work. We did counseling. It didn't work. We've invested so much money and time and effort to things that don't work. And then you come in four days and they're saying, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't believe that it could happen, but you were my last hope. And so after four days, I'm like, Anne, and they're like, Oh my God, like how much, how many years we wasted? Like all those prescriptions we gave our kids. Like I get, I tell parents, I'm like, you have to take them off their meds. If they're like on ADHD meds or depression meds or anxiety meds before I come in there, they have to have them off their meds for two weeks. Cause there's a 14 day lifespan for most uh, medications. And, um, I want to see the true behavior. I want to see what I'm working with. I don't want to see it masked there again, masked by the um, effects of medication. So, you know, um, but I did want to just piggyback on one thing that you said is that we're not the behavior and we're not um, the emotion. Um, as a mental health professional, I've worked with people that had autism and had Down syndrome and, you know, cerebral palsy and whatnot. And one of the things that we learned in the very beginning when I became a, a, a mental health professional is that they are not autistic. They are not down syndrome. They have it. It's a condition they have, but they are not it. And I have never been one with diagnosing anything or anybody. I don't, um, it's not that I don't believe in it because I believe there is a time to diagnose for when you need services. Um, but you know, to label a child bad, to label a child clumsy, to label a child, these are all labels. They're all diagnosed. We're diagnosing our kids nowadays, you know? And so I just wanted to touch on that because, you know, that's huge. I mean, we're doing it in schools. If a teacher can't get a child under control automatically, oh, they need to go get tested for ADHD. They, I won't take them back unless they're on meds. And it's like, 
wow, what if we just took the time to be present? What if that was all as simple as that? Just being present with that child and seeing what's really going on with them. So what's, what's the message that you can give people? Cause you know, I don't always get it right when I, when I try to share some insights that I have. And I remember a recent conversation, um, with, uh, one of my scrub techs, uh, during surgery and, you know, he's, he, he, his child has been diagnosed with ADHD. And I said, well, you know, I told him, I said, you know, my vision of the future doctor, um, is that we're not going to be prescribing drugs and we're not going to be performing surgeries. We're just going to understand, you know, the, the inner dynamics of our world in a much better way so that we can have a healthier approach to it. And so I was trying to teach him about ADHD and, and, tried to relate to him and says, well, does your kid play Nintendo or anything like that? And says, oh, absolutely. He's really good at it. So where's the deficit? And I still find that a lot of people are so stuck with the idea of needing to treat a label. How do you help people overcome that stubbornness that, you know, it's all about that label and, and it's all about making sure they do the right thing because that's what everybody else is doing. So it's really about changing their certainty, right? Because they have absolute certainty that their child has to be ADHD because somebody that they believed in had said that, and they have absolute certainty evidence of showing that. But once somebody, anybody can take that person away and show certainty in a different direction, then their whole world changes. And that's so what I'm doing. I'm giving parents a reason to believe that it's put the cell phone down, turn the TV off and be present with your child to see what they really, really need at that time. Right. And when you tell your child, you're going to be there in a minute, make sure it's a minute because if not, your child will stop coming to you. Right. You know, and, and, and you're so right. It's, it's about, um, you know, being impeccable with your word, you know, having that integrity. Um, and, you know, most importantly, just, just, being present, as you say, but also, you know, allowing people to be themselves, to be different. Yeah. You know, it, it's so funny. And, them. Yeah. It's so, it's, I find it so interesting where, um, again, I just want to emphasize this is not a political platform, but there's, there's so much sensitivity about um, the diversity in our world and, and we can't be so diverse anymore. Uh, diversity is beautiful. It's, it's what creates the magic, the, the ignites, you know, life and the differences and the opportunities for us to engage with our own personal expansion by seeing things that are so different. And, um, and it's not having to, you know, fit in that box, but I, I love that, that sense of, you know, needing that certainty. We need that. And I think it comes also to the fact that, and, and you know, this term, is um is flexibility and and choices and when we have more choices then things are a lot easier and that's actually the purpose of the show prescription free transformation it's really about helping people get more choices and discovering the stuff that they did not know that they didn't know that makes all the difference and that's why it's so wonderful to have you you know in this world helping people with new identities new opportunities and new choices mm -hmm so that they can find that place of flow and happiness and fulfillment in all the things that we ultimately desire. And, and one thing I, I, before I ask you to share some last words of, of wisdom, you know, it's my you know belief that all of us, all of us, however you want to define it, 
you know, desire divine happiness. And we make it so complex as to what that really is. And it's really quite simple. All we have to do is resolve whatever makes us unhappy. Whatever makes us unhappy has an origin, has a mask. It's coming from somewhere. And with people like yourself, you're helping people resolve that with new choices. So I know we have about one minute left, and I just wanted to have you share with us two things. How do people get a hold of you? And some last words of parting wisdom. So um, I'm definitely on social media, on Facebook. You can find me on Vino Inspires, and I'm pretty consistent on uh, Twitter, Vino Inspires. Um, Instagram, Be Inspired, Vino Keller. And um, my website is vinoinspires.com. So, um, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, and my last words of wisdom is two of my favorite quotes. And, um, I've heard them both from Tony. I'm not sure if they're his or not, but that's where I heard them. One is you don't get what you deserve in life. You get what you tolerate. Right. So mm -hmm. if you don't like something happening in your life right now, talking about it is not going to change it. Doing something about it is going to change it. And it's going to keep occurring as long as you tolerate it. Yep. The second thing that I would leave you with is trade your expectations for appreciation. Anytime that you're upset about something, you get emotional or you go into your emotions, you have to ask yourself, is it because an expectation was not met? And if it wasn't, ask yourself a better question to get a better answer. What can I appreciate in this moment right now? Yeah. And I actually just learned that recently from Tony and last is uh, Unleash the Power Within. Brilliant event that he has uh, all over the world. And it's really deciding, okay, what is it that I can appreciate right now? What's great about this moment versus seeing what's wrong? So I, I thank you so much. It's a great thank pleasure you. and honor to be talking to you and have a person like yourself have such a great influence in changing people's lives because none of us want to be in that pain. And it's so wonderful that you get to do it. So Vino, thank you so much. Thank people you. reach out to her. And I'm Dr. Bart Rademacher, Prescription for Your Transformation, Real People, real conversations, and real success. And Sedona, thanks again for you. As always, just take it away. Thanks for listening to Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Join Dr. Barton Rademacher live right here on Radio Star Worldwide each week or on demand 24-7.